Good morning. Hope you're all doing well today. Happy to, to be here with you again. First, I wanted to point out, I noticed that there's been some comments regarding my beverage container going around, and I'll have you know that this is not a sippy cup. It, it, it appears as though it's a sippy cup, but you'll notice there's at least two inches or so added at the bottom. So this is a man size cup that you're, I happen to be able to sip out of. So it's a, it's just a cup, not a sippy cup. So we're gonna, just first things first. I, uh, this is our first week of Advent and though we're, we won't be talking too much Adventy things this morning, it's, uh, it's a, it's a great time of year. I love this time of year as we get into it with Christmas. It's just wonderful seeing the joy and, and all that and I know it can be tough sometimes for people and the problem, I think, with a bit of it is this idea of consumerism. I think this weekend is a, is a fantastic example of, of how we can, we can let things get out of control, as it were, with, uh, with the way we spend, like Black Friday and Cyber Monday. It's good to get a deal, love a deal. But when you have, when you get trampled trying to get a TV at Walmart, I think that we may have, uh, taken it a step further. There's a group called Cards for Humanity. And they're actually, they're pointing out, they say that this isn't an actual indictment on the idea of consumerism and, and how, or what we do with our money in the West, but I can't help but think it is. And, and what they're doing right now, I don't know if anybody saw this online, but they're, they've started a crowdfunding event. So they're raising money and they're taking that money and they're using it to, and you can watch it live streaming for the next hour. So nobody here will get to do that. Uh, but uh, for the next hour or so, they've been doing it for 48 hours, and they're raising money, and they're taking this money, and they've hired an excavator and a dump truck, and they're digging a big hole in the ground. And that's it. They're just digging a hole. And so far, they've raised, last night, the last time I checked, they'd raised $85,000 to digging a hole in the ground. And so they have a frequently asked questions part of the page, and it says... The first question, what is happening here? What's happening here? And they say, Cards Against Humanity is digging a holiday hole. Is this real? Answer, unfortunately it is. Where is this hole? America and in our hearts. Is there some sort of deeper meaning or purpose to the hole? No, but I think they're lying. Uh, What do I get for contributing money to the hole? Answer, a deeper hole. What else are you going to buy? An iPod? Why aren't you giving money... Or why aren't you giving all this money to charity? Good question. Answer, why aren't you giving all this money to charity? It's your money. Is the hole bad for the environment? No, this is just a bunch of empty land. Now there's a hole there. That's life. How am I supposed to feel about this? You're supposed to think it's funny. You might not get it for a while, but sometime next year, you'll chuckle quietly to yourself and remember all this business about a hole. How deep can you make this sucker? Great question. As long as you keep spending, we'll keep digging. We'll find out together how deep this thing goes. What if you dig so deep you hit hot magma? At least then we'd feel something, is the answer. So that's a pretty good illustration of how sometimes, this time of year, we can take money and and throw it away. And literally, in this case, dig it or put it into a hole. 
On the other end of the spectrum, though, I think, and this is part of the awesomeness of the time of year, is people get really generous. It's amazing to see how people are able to do things with their money to bless other people. One of the sad things I think about it, and I heard someone say this the other day, is that this is the time of year for giving, as if the rest of the time of year is, is, a, is a get out of, of giving free card. We don't need to bless other people at any other point in the year. It's just during the Christmas. It's similar to the person who eats whatever they want during the week and, and sits around, but then Saturday goes to the gym and, and hits it hard, thinking that that's going to erase all of the, the, the other stuff through the week. It'll balance things out. And, and, I mean, going to the gym once a week, it's great, right? Going once is better than none. But maybe giving more than just one time a year is also better. It makes it easier then, if we're doing that, to be living what we're given. And speaking of living what you're given, uh, as I mentioned last week, a couple weeks ago, we had the chance to watch Les Miserables here, in the, right in the, the sanctuary. It was wonderful to get to watch that. And, and Victor Hugo's story is, is just a wonderful story. It's one of my favorites, I think. It's one of my favorites of all time. For those of you who don't know, it centers around many characters, but particularly there's a man named Jean Valjean. And this is him in prison. And he was there for stealing a loaf of bread. He ended up getting freed. And, and we, you kind of say freed because Jean Valjean was given, he was given papers to go around. But wherever he went, people would judge him or, or say to him, you know, you're not good enough and, and you can't work here. You can't stay here. You can't eat here. And so he was having to try to scrape by. And finally, he finds himself at the door of a priest's home. And the priest takes him in out of the love of his own God and feeds him, and he gives him, oh, there we go, uh, he feeds him, and, and even though Jean Valjean is, is having a hard time accepting these things, uh, the priest is nevertheless is loving him, and he ends up getting to sleep there, and in the middle of the night, he steals a bunch of things, and, and he runs away. He ends up getting caught. The police bring him back before the, the priest, and the priest, uh, surprisingly, much to Jean Valjean's surprise, says, you know, hey, this man is innocent. And not only is he innocent, sir, you forgot the candlesticks. And so the police were dumbfounded. Jean Valjean is, is confused. He has no idea. He's used to getting kicked around. He's not used to receiving this sort of mercy and grace. And so at this point then, he has a choice he has to make. Is he going to take this gift that he's been given and change it and then, and then use it for good? Or is he going to waste it? Is he going to take this gift and throw it away? This is a process I think that we are all going to have to go through. We all do go through. Often through our lives, we're given things. Some of us are, are born with the silver spoon, the proverbial silver spoon in our mouth. And, and we're born into wealth, so we don't have to worry about money. Or we're given great physical or, or mental gifts that we can use. And, and often we can squander these or not use them to the best of our ability And then hopefully one day we'll realize it. And then this is something we can learn from. And then we have to make a choice then. Are we going to change and start to use them for good? Or are we going to, are we going to waste it? For instance, for myself, when I first came to Christ, I was living in a recovery home and I was with a bunch of guys. And for us, it was Normal to continue living with the same selfish attitude that we had come in with. So people would give us stuff 
people from churches would come and, and bestow gifts and things like that for us, and we would start to hoard them because that was what you did, right? You, you took everything you could get and you tried to accumulate as much as possible because that is something I can control. That's something that I can hold on to. But then I had to slowly learn that it was by giving away some of these things that I was given that I was truly blessed, that this is what my life should look like or could look like. And I found happiness there. Then I got married and and I all of a sudden had to relearn what it was like because I was used to starting to give stuff away, but I I didn't know what it was like to share my space, right? I, I I had my little man cave at home and and I would be able to go home and that was my little refuge but then I I had to learn how to share that and I did gladly and now Sarah and I have caddy and as much as we like to to think that things are going to maybe stay the same anybody who's ever had children knows that things change instantly and all of a sudden time it's not it doesn't work the same way does it It, we we have to reevaluate what quality time is and and how much or how we quantify it. But it's it's incredible. It's being able to do this and, and learn and adapt is something that God has given us and it's incumbent upon us to learn how to do that, to be able to show love for people by adjusting. Uh, C.S. Lewis and a, and a number of, of people would call this love charity. Bless you. They would call it charity. And we think of charity and we think of just giving money to the poor. But charity, in its true sense of the meaning, is a deep sense of love that is giving of oneself, going beyond just giving possessions, but giving heartfelt love along with whatever it is. But understanding this and and living out is two different things, because the struggle is real, trying to work with this. And and I'm embarrassed to say, on the night that Caddy was born, Sarah and I had had got home, we were at a, a nice dinner party, and we had a great time, and, and we were getting to bed a little bit late. And Sarah wasn't feeling too good. Uh, or she was feeling a little weird, she said. And I was like, well, no, it's you're fine. She's like, I think I could be going into labor. And I said, no, 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 it's just indigestion or, or what have you. Because, we, you know, today's October 10th, or 9th, I guess, at that point, And we have an appointment for the C-section on the, sixth, on the 26th. That's the day that... We're going to have the baby. Not it can't come today. He can't come today. We have plans for those two weeks, right? We're going to go to the movies, and we're going to have a what's called a baby moon. We're going to have a night away, and we're going to do this stuff. And then, so I wake up in the middle of the night, or two hour, a couple hours later, and the lights on, and she's on the phone, and I get a little bit annoyed, and I'm like, "What is going on?" And she's like, "Well, we got to go to the hospital." I'm like, "No, we don't have to." Two weeks, babe. We have two weeks. So I roll my eyes and I get up and I'm brushing my teeth and with this sort of angst-ridden, like I don't even know how to describe it. I was upset. I had expectations that I wanted to do these things and all of a sudden I couldn't do them anymore. So of course that melted away as the, as the minutes pass on and the realization that yes, my little boy is coming. But in that moment, it was very, very hard for me to be living what I'd been given. In fact, I think we all have a hard time identifying sometimes just what has been given to us. And then even when we do realize it, it's difficult time, or it's difficult at times to see it as something that needs to be given away. Maybe it's because of personal security. Maybe I enjoy the, the, the stuff that I have around me. It helps keep me safe. My family's safe. 
and I like the status quo, and I don't want to interrupt that. I don't want to mess with this system that I've created for myself. Or maybe I'm lazy. Maybe I, it's, it's hard work having to go and identify people's needs and then try to meet them. So maybe I'll just leave that up to somebody else. Or maybe it is comfort. Maybe I do like the things. I like the, this model of car that I have that maybe I don't need or this size of house that I have or something along those lines, right? In, insert your favorite uh, thing that, that potentially could go too far. I like having these things. Or maybe it's just a fear of looking foolish. Maybe uh, in the circle of friends I have, if I don't have the latest such and shuts or, the, or whatever, they'll look at me funny, like as if I'm not part of the club and I don't want to look weak or foolish. So sometimes we'll either sit on it, what we've been given, and it never gets used, or we use it where it doesn't have any benefit for anybody but us. Obviously, this isn't everybody, but most of us, I think, when we when someone asks us a question or we think about it, do I give enough? We'll answer, yes, I think I do. I think I do. So what do we do with that? Well, I'm grateful to Jesus for a lot of reasons, but one of them is that he spoke to this issue about what it means to be given gifts and then what we're to do with them. And we're going to be reading in Luke 16. Luke 16 today. And this parable normally goes to verse 13, but we're just going to... We'll find that Jesus' explanation that he tags on uh, gets answered as we go. So we're, going to, we're only going to go till verse 9. It's in chapter 16 of the Gospel of Luke. He also said to his disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down, quickly, and write fifty. Then said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended this honest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now as we read that, obviously there's some questions that pop up, because it sounds like Jesus is saying, do whatever it takes, right? Woohoo! Live it up, and however the cards fall, you know, as long as the end works out, the means, it doesn't matter. We're going to see that's not actually the case. This passage is, is about stewardship. He's called the manager there, but we can insert the word steward and all that means is a person that is looking after something. So it's about faithfulness and using what we've been given to bless other people. That's what this, that's what this passage is about, straight off the bat. And 
So, in light of this passage, when someone looks at me and asks me a question about this or about my faith, about my life in Jesus, I want to be able to say, and this is our encouragement today, this is the one thing we want to keep in our minds, I want to be able to say that I'm living what I've been given. I'm living what I've been given. Now, I want to be careful because, as I said before, a lot of us do or are generous with our times. But Jesus isn't saying that, you know, you get to a certain point and you've arrived. What Jesus is saying is that there's there's no limit on this game. There's no ceiling. So where money may end, love may prevail. Forgiveness. Grace. There's always something more we can do. But the, the, the idea is not to get caught up in this race like I'm trying to earn anything. This is a response. There's nothing to earn. Jesus paid it all, and righteousness and eternal life is is possible through him only, and that's period. That's the bottom line. However, in response to the gifts we've been given, Jesus is saying, you have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to be living this out, to be living what we've been given. So let's walk through the text, and we're going to see how he fleshes this out. So in verse 1, we see the first thing is he says to disciples... This is the first thing we want to notice. It's addressed to disciples. So if anybody should be getting this right, it's the people, it's these guys that had been hanging out with Jesus day in and day out for quite a while at this point. But we later learn in verse 14, if we kept reading through this gospel, Jesus is going to mention that the Pharisees were listening in, and he knew it. Jesus knew who his, who is addressees were, but also people that were eavesdropping in on this conversation. He knew who was listening. So this is a lesson to everybody. It doesn't matter if you profess faith in Jesus or not. This is the message that Jesus wants everybody to know. It asks as a warning, or acts as a warning for all. So the steward then, he's being released by his master for mismanagement. We call him the dishonest manager or unjust steward. But he gets released, not for fraud, but for mismanagement. He's inept, essentially. Later on, he's going to get into dishonesty. But at first, that's not the case. So the steward here, this person would, would have been a slave. Not, and when we think slave, we don't think, we shouldn't think slave, North American slavery, or some of the despicable forms of slavery that we, that automatically jump into mind when we think slavery. This would have been more of an idea of being indentured or you have a debt to somebody and you're paying it off. So most of the time, slaves in this case would have been free, educated, and able to participate in the economic activities of the land. In this case, this person, this slave, was given incredible amounts of resources and freedom in order to do it. And the only person, his worst enemy, in this case, was himself. Was himself. He was given a lot. He had it good. I know when I was a kid, uh, I wasn't the, the dullest, you know, tool in the shed, and, and I could play some sports and do some things. So people would always tell me that, you know, I, I had a good thing going for me. I, the world was my oyster. I could, I could do whatever I wanted. But then when I started to go sideways, when I, when I turned 13, and things started to get uh, a little rough, and I started going bad, as it were, I started to hear a lot of this. Chris, don't throw it all away. 
Chris, you're, 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 you're ruining your life. You're taking what you've been given and you're not using it to what you could, to its best ability. You're throwing it all away. And that's the, the, the picture of what is happening here. But it's important to notice the word was. The word was. He was doing it. And, and this is a beautiful word, was. When we think about life. Because there's lots of things that we were doing that we may not be doing now, right? And so he was doing it. So this leaves a lot of room for the next sentence that could be, but he now is. Dot, dot, dot. But at this point, he was wasting what was given to his master. Right now, there's just that, there's that potential. There's that possibility for something more. So verse 2, the master hears it and relieves him of his management duties. Pretty straightforward. You're fired. But as he was just being accused of mismanagement or ineptness, not fraud, the manager, the, the rich man, the guy who's in charge of, didn't just automatically kick him out right away or p- potentially have him arrested or even executed for being a thief. He was just inept. So the guy had some time. Maybe he said, okay, you're going you're gonna to be finished, clear up your accounts, and, and then beat it by the end of the week. So this guy takes his opportunity to go to the people and buy their loyalty. He runs to them and he starts to say, Look, I know that you owe my master this much money, but I can make you a deal. You look after me when all this is said and done, and I'll cut your bill down. Sometimes in, as much as in half, I'll cut it down. And so let's, let's make this deal. So these guys that owed his master some sort of payment now uh, received a smaller amount of payment but became indebted to the manager. So he's buying their loyalty. And interestingly, the master comes after him, comes back to him once he discovers what's going on, and he says to him what amounts to well played. Well played. It's, it, it's almost like good sportsmanship. You did, a, you did good. What can I say? I, I, I have no problem with that. But remember, this isn't teaching the ends justify the means. This master isn't, isn't God. He, it, often when Jesus is telling parables, when he's doing these things, the master is the God figure. And in this sense, you could say that to a very small degree in that this person has absolute control in this situation. The rich man has control. He's sovereign over this. In that sense, it's, a, it's attributable to God. But in a, in a more deeper sense, he's not because obviously there's nobody that's like God. Jesus here is merely applauding the resourcefulness of the guy. He's not applauding his, di- his dishonesty. He's merely applauding his resourcefulness, not dishonesty. Because obviously in, in, uh, there's uh, another place where Jesus says, what does it gain a person if they gain the whole world but lose their very soul? And dishonesty is a leech of the soul. It's where so many of our inner struggles begin and end when we struggle with dishonesty. So Jesus is not teaching the ends justify the means. What he's doing is he's pointing out two truths here. And he does this 
by talking about the sons of the world and the sons of light. Now, the sons of the world are people that are outside the community of God, the people who don't claim to follow Jesus Christ. And he's saying that they, uh, the sons of light should be sent apart, set apart, sorry, from the things of this world. That's a good thing. They have no business being in, light has no business being in the dark, doing things like dishonesty. However, the son of light can learn from the son of darkness as far as street smarts go. In Matthew 10, 16, Jesus says, Behold, I'm sending you as sheep amidst the wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Sometimes biblical truths, they're hard to apply. We say, okay, well, that's well and good, preacher, but how do we live it out? Where, where does the rubber hit the road? And, and this is one of the reasons why I, I typically love parables and the sayings of Jesus is because often he spells it out for us. He gets it, that, that we want to be able to live this out. So in verse 9 then, Jesus says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. And what he means by that is he's saying to use this wealth, it's unrighteous because it can so easily corrupt other than the kingdom of God, Jesus spoke about nothing fewer... That's saying that weird double negative. Jesus spoke about money more than anything else other than the kingdom of God and how it can corrupt and how it can ruin lives through misuse of it. So he's saying, take this thing that often is used for unrighteousness and use it for good. Use it to bless people because it's going to fail. Everything, everything physical is, is going down eventually. So we need to be aware of that because friends, the people that we make through this, they're going somewhere where neither moth nor rust can destroy. And it's important to remember that. I had a really, really good friend and, and mentor named Don. He's American, lives in Quebec. And he had a mentor named Mr. McDonald good old biblical scholar. Mr. McDonald used to tell Don, and then Don started to tell me that if you want to lay out your treasures in heaven, invest in someone that's going there. If you want to lay up your treasures in heaven, invest in someone that's going there. Money's primary use then is to bless people. Our gifts that we've been given, primary use is to bless people, not satisfy our own desires. Because it's important here, Jesus uses the word eternal dwellings. The, the word that he uses there in the Greek, it's skena. And it's a, it's a neat word because it can refer to either an earthly tent or God's tabernacle. God's tabernacle. So he's saying an earthly dwelling. Or, sorry, an eternal dwelling. So it would be an oxymoron if he was talking about this earthly tent. He wants you to lay these possessions up in a place where neither, as we said, neither moth nor rust can destroy. Something that goes further than just laying it out and throwing it in a big hole. And it's never too late to start or to improve. Remember that word? Remember was? We just need to answer that question. What has our master? What has our Lord? What has Jesus given us? And the answer is everything. But if we want to get specific, we could say he's given us our physical possessions. And that's everything that we have is is his. 
So we can then, in turn, give from our physical possession generously. We've been given forgiveness. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, that's another reminder of Jesus' sacrifice for us. We've been given this forgiveness, so then we can, in turn, we can forgive how some people consider recklessly and love people in ways that they don't think they deserve or other people may not either, but nevertheless, we can do that. And, of course, with our very lives. This life that we've been given is, is God's, and so we can therefore use our time generously to be able to participate in things that he would have us do. So it's really this simple. Be generous with everything because everything has been given. Be generous with everything because everything has been given. Jean, Jean, Jean Valjean was a man who was wasting his possessions, was wasting his gifts, but he ends up repenting of his ways and he changes and, and becomes a man of means both through the gifts that the priest gave him, the physical ones, but also because of the forgiveness, grace, and mercy that he was shown and then his choice to decide to follow after Christ, to follow after God and to become a person who then wanted to bestow that same generosity on other people. In fact, he risks being caught by the the tenacious cop, Javert. He goes and he admits his guilt to free an innocent man. He helps Fatine, even though she blames him for her demise, spits in his face and treats him like dirt. His love for her is relentless. He rescues her daughter, Cosette, and raises her as his own as a means of penance, means of making up for the hurt that he caused. We can all be people who used to waste our possessions. I want you to, to dream with me a little bit right now and, and imagine a community that everyone around us, or everybody who knows us, is sitting there and, and thinking to themselves and, and telling their friends, wow, those, those Oak Ridge people, they're, they're weird. They're, they're an odd bunch. And it has nothing to do with our views on sex, or politics, or roles, or anything like that. It's because we're blessing people and blessing community projects with money and person power. We're getting out there. We're not holding grudges over mistreatment that is certainly going to come if it's not already in your life. And we're a haven for the broken and discouraged, for people that want a better life and see it in people here and know that it can be found by introducing them to Christ. So in other words, I want people to say that we are living what we've been given. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful so much for the great gifts that you give. We're grateful for how much you are involved in our lives and how you contribute how you participate, how you love us, how you encourage us to be able to be people that are after your own heart. Help us do that. Help us be those kind of people that others look to for answers, for why we're able to smile through discouraging times, why we're able to uh, mourn when we need to mourn, but most of all, why we're able to give generously 
from all of the things that you give us. Help us do that in your name. Amen. Now that we can dive right into, we think of Judy and the, the special offering that we're doing. There's one option for us, and there's lots of things like Food for Life and, and ESL and tons of areas that we can get involved if you're interested. But moreover, we're going to be doing more. I, I hope you know that. I hope you know that we wanted to be able to do more in our community. And I know for myself, I can't, I can't do it on my own. I need you to help. We need you to help. So when we think about Jesus' words in Matthew six nineteen, Do not lay up yourselves for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your your what? Your heart will be also. Bless you. Have a good week. Go and be with God.